America, I am aggrieved. I am vexed. I am beside myself. Buckle your outrage seatbelts because I've got a doozy for you today. Biological male swimmer Leah Thomas loses bid for Woman of the Year to a female fencer. Come on, this is so incredibly sexist. We don't often think about it, and shame on us for that. But this is the type of oppression that trans women face every day. They don't win all of the awards all of the time. Truly disgusting. And this actual winner, this fencer, well, I just can't believe she had the nerve to even compete in this competition, let alone accept the winning title. She took the absolute easiest path possible to win Woman of the Year. She was born a woman. She's got female genitalia. That's almost cheating. I mean, talk about lazy. And it's not like the fencing world needs another female star. Remember, of course, Madonna, when she was in that James Bond movie. Uh, you, of course, remember that. And I think that's Rosamund Pike there, who is actually an attractive woman and not just a sentient bag of beef jerky being touched for the very first time. That's a totally different story. But if you ask me, it's time the female fencing world went the way of 007's Aston Martin in that movie, Die Another Day. It was invisible. Do you not remember that the, the, car, the car was invisible in that movie? I, I can't seem to forget that. But you may want to forget this because Leah Thomas has had so much work to go so much farther than every other biological woman on the planet to have the world handed to them on a silver vagina-shaped platter. It's not fair. Did anyone even stop to consider how difficult it is to pack one's female penis into those aerodynamic women's swimsuits. I don't think you have thought about that and you may not want to think about it again. So sure, call Sylvia Binder Woman of the Year if you must NCAA, but my vote will always be on the person who had to fight to overturn thousands of years of sovereign tradition just to compete. And remember this, every time Leah Thomas doesn't win an award. It's like a kick in the nuts to every woman in America. Stu does America. How are you not subscribed yet to Blaze TV? BlazeTV.com slash Stu. The promo code is Stu. Save yourself 10 bucks. It helps fight inflation. Brian Riedel returns to the program to unpack our latest economic doom. I'll give you a much needed reminder that Joe Manchin will never, ever save you. But we start by doing the recession. Ah, wait a minute. What recession? I haven't heard of any recession. There's no recession going on right now. That's the way we're supposed to think right now. I want to I show you a little bit of uh, Joe Biden as he exited his speech today, his press conference, which resulted in precisely zero questions from the press. Here he is just exiting stage left. That doesn't sound like a recession to me. Thank you very much. <laughs> You know, it seemed like journalists may have had a couple of questions there for him uh, after he came out and said, ah, uh, this doesn't seem like a recession to me, and then ran off to the side of the stage. Now, the, the administration has been very clear with you, and I don't know why you won't listen. 
You just don't seem to care about the truth. We are not in a recession. There's no recession coming. Everything is fine. No recession, no recession, no recession. Well, listen, listen, watch. Listen, listen. He's right going to say it. Right now, we don't see a recession. Mm. Right now, that is not, we're not in a recession right okay, now. Okay, we're not. This is not an economy that's in recession. Not only is, is a recession accent? not inevitable, but I think that a lot of people are underestimating those strengths and mm. the resilience of the American economy. We have a strong labor market, which you don't normally see mm. in a recession. A recession okay. is broad-based weakness in the economy. We're not seeing that now. In your view, is a recession in the United States inevitable? No. Typically, economists no. date a recession as being at least two quarters of negative growth uh, and, other com- and other factors, which we have not seen at all. The idea that mm. uh, two quarters of negative GDP growth is a technical definition of a recession is wrong. Mm, it's all wrong. I mean, one of the people was like, yeah, we haven't seen two quarters in a row. Well, that was last week. Things have changed a little bit. Um, we are starting to uh, see everybody try to navigate their way through these waters. They're not easy waters to navigate because we all know for a very long time, two quarters of negative GDP growth has been shorthand for a recession. No, it's not a technical definition. That's done in retrospect. So you, if you do only talk about the de- technical definition of a recession, you literally will never talk about a recession while it's going on, which is kind of a problem. Um, CNN has done a lot of this. John Harwood, one of the reporters, has had one of their tweets come back to haunt them. Now, they've been talking, he's been retweeting all the excuses from the White House over and over and over again, parroting the line. This isn't a recession. It's not two quarters of negative GDP growth. What are you talking about? That's just, I don't even know what that is. He used to know what it was, though, when he tweeted this. By the way, it's not possible for a recession to only last two months. Recession equals economy shrinks for two quarters. Seems like he used to know that that was a fact. Of course, we are in that now uh, period now. We, we did get the confirmation finally. We kind of knew this was coming, not even because of the economic data, but because of the way the White House was acting. Uh, the quarter uh, of economic data did come out today, and the GDP fell 0.9% in the second quarter. This is the second straight decline. Uh, and a strong reche- recession signal, says CNBC. Powell is still saying there's no recession right now, but... Anything is possible, and that's, of course, true, and we all know that. I don't know that it helps us all that much, but it is true. Anything is, is possible. But it does seem like a lot of the possibilities right now are negative. Things are not looking up at the moment, and people feel that. You look at the polling on this stuff, it's terrible. 60, 70, 80% of people saying, yeah, we're already in a recession, we're going the wrong direction, things are not going well. And even CNN is talking about this. CNN says, look, if it looks like a recession and quacks like a recession, well, guess what? It is one. I mean, I don't know. Did that mistakenly get posted at CNN.com? I I, I don't know. Biden did come out, and I showed you a bit of that speech before. It was very incoherent. Um, He was often stumbling over himself and having all sorts of problems. So let me just give you the text of it so you can kind of try to understand what he's talking about. A couple excerpts. uh, Coming off last year's historic economic growth, which they continue to to take this line, which is really annoying. Look, you're coming off of a shutdown. 
you're cherry picking these numbers. Yes, you've had growth from like zero from this terrible negative time when people were dying and all the businesses were closed. Yes, the economy has grown since he took over, but that's the reason for it. Anyway, um, uh, regaining all the private sector jobs lost during the pandemic crisis. It's no surprise that the economy is slowing down as the Federal Reserve acts to bring down inflation. But even as we face historic global challenges, we are on the right path and we will come through this transition stronger and more secure. He sounds like the emperor. Uh, Our job market remains historically strong with unemployment at 3.6 percent and more than one million jobs created in the second quarter alone. Consumer spending is continuing to grow. Earlier this week, I met with his chairman of SK Group from Korea, just one of the companies investing more than $200 billion in American manufacturing since I took office, powering a historic recovery in American manufacturing. My economic plan is focused on bringing inflation down without giving all the economic gains that we have made. Congress has made an, has an historic chance to do that by passing the CHIPS and Science Act and Inflation Reduction Act without delay. That's what they're calling the new spending bill, the Inflation Reduction Act. Is it true that the Inflation Reduction Act will help inflation? Will it help the economy? Will the CHIPS Act be this incredible boom? This is a $200 billion bill we're not even talking about because $200 billion is like, it seems like chump change at this point. I wanted to bring in somebody who really knows this stuff frontwards and backwards. Brian Riedel is a guy we've had him on before. He really knows the economy from every single direction. He knows the details of these bills and he knows whether there's, are these all excuses? Is there something legitimate kind of hiding behind the uh, administration spin? We'll get into that with Brian Riedel next. You know, it's never good when your nation's supposed authority on economic policy completely misses the flashing red lights of impending inflation. Now, Transitary uh, Secretary Janet Yellen has finally admitted, quote, there have been unanticipated and large shocks to the economy that have boosted energy and food prices. Really have there. And supply bottlenecks that affected our economy badly that at the time we didn't fully understand, really. A lot of other people seem to understand it. Now they don't seem to understand what the word recession even means. They've got a new definition for it daily. Uh, Who understood the real threat of inflation? Well, people who invested in gold and silver with Birch Gold Group, they're protecting their savings from a highly turbulent economy by diversifying their 401k or IRA into gold, physical gold. And it's not too late for you to take action now. All you have to do is text STU to 989898. You'll get a free info kit on diversifying and protecting your savings with the precious metals we've been talking about for a while. And, you know, look, there's a lot of spending going on. A lot of it. And uh, it's not going to stop anytime soon. Uh, you got to do your own research. You got to understand what you're doing. Make sure you uh, look at uh, all of this information and, and, and analyze it for yourself. But get that information. At least take the time to look at it. Uh, text the word STU to 989898. You'll get a free, no obligation info kit on protecting your savings with gold. It's STU to 989898 for Birch Gold. So it's a big day uh, for the economy. And one thing we know about Joe Biden, I think we've noticed this over the per- first you know, you know, year or two of his presidency, he's not exactly a spry individual. He doesn't move all that quickly. But there was an exception to that rule, I felt like, today after his speech as he was trying to avoid questions about the recession. Watch this guy move here. That doesn't sound like a recession to me. Thank you very much. Okay. 
That's the fastest I've ever seen this guy walk. Uh, it's, it's, it's inspiring for uh, the future of his health. Uh, I, as I looked at all this economy stuff today, I could think of no one I wanted to talk to more about it than Brian Riedel. He's a senior fellow at the Manhattan Institute. And Brian joins us now. Brian, how are you, my man? I'm doing great. How are you? Really well, really well. Um, let's start with the big question. Are we in a recession? In fact, what is a recession? A recession is often colloquially known as when the economy shrinks for two consecutive quarters. By that standard, we are in a recession. We, the economy has shrank slightly for two consecutive quarters. However, the technical definition is determined by a group called the National Bureau of Economic Research. And they look more broadly at the economy and they would probably say at this point that because jobs are growing and consumption is growing, that we're probably not technically in a recession yet using their strict definition. And in the past, they, they have diverged from that whole two, two straight declining quarters guideline. So technically, we're probably not in a recession yet, but I would say we are probably going to be officially in a recession pretty soon because inflation is rising so fast, 9.1% annual rate, that the Federal Reserve is having to slam the brake on the economy so fast that the things that are holding up the economy, like jobs and consumption, those are going to start turning around pretty quickly, too, probably. So really, whether or not we're technically in a recession, maybe, maybe not. But it all signs point to we will be soon if we're not already. Hmm. Uh, I heard someone say, basically, Maybe the right way to think about this is, yes, we've had two down quarters in a row, but maybe if we're using that standard, we should kind of give a, I think it was, uh, I can't remember who said this, but give a mulligan essentially to that first quarter because it was some odd economic data that led to that one quarter. And if you kind of start thinking about it as this being the first quarter of a recession, that's really going to be the test. And all out, outlook you know, appears that we would have a, a recession either way, but it would just start now instead of three months ago. Does that, does that seem sensible? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the declines in the two quarters are 0.4% and 0.2%. Those declines are small enough that when they do the future revisions to the GDP, they may actually end up in positive territory. Mm. Uh, that can happen in part because, let's say, they revise inflation to be slightly less than the real growth would be revised slightly up because the way they calculate real growth is you take the nominal growth, which is like 8%, and then you subtract inflation, which is like 9%, and that's how you end up negative. Well, if it turns out that inflation's a little bit lower, we might actually end up right now above water. Also, not to get too technical, but an alternative measure called gross domestic income is showing growth. Gross domestic product is measure spending. Gross domestic income measures income. Well, economists will tell you income and spending in an economy should be equal. So if gross domestic income is rising, we might find out that gross domestic product actually slightly was rising. This is why the NBER usually waits a few months to, to figure out the data before classifying it. But I want to emphasize whether or not we're technically in a recession really isn't the issue. The issue is the economy is in bad shape. 
Real wages in the past year have dropped by 3.6%. That means your wages are falling behind. Inflation has hammered people on fixed incomes by 9.1%. Families are really struggling. Whether we call it a recession or not is really almost a semantic issue. Yeah, and it seems like, too, people don't really care. Like, they, they are saying we're in a recession, which in some ways sort of makes it true. I mean, I know it doesn't make it true with the economic data, but certainly from a political standpoint, this is something that Biden has to deal with. And his approach so far is to just say everything is awesome. Everything is cool if you're part of the team. And I don't know if that's going to work. I've... I've been around long enough. I've seen a lot of recessions in my life. I remember, you know, and the economy right now is worse than it was in past times, even when we classified it as a recession. I mm. would say the economy is worse now than it was in the 1990-91 recession under Bush one. It's worse now than it was in the 2000 recession. Even if the GDP growth hasn't been as serious of a decline as those, the 9.1 inflation rate brings us back to the Jimmy Carter 70s. The decline in wages right now of 3.6%, that is one of the worst we've had in the last 50 years. So again, whether we call it a recession or not, I would say the economy is in a worse shape for families now than it has been even when there was no doubt that it was classified as a recession. Yeah, Brent, how, how much of that goes to uncertainty? Because you know, it's one thing to, to maybe not be able to get a job and that's very, very difficult to deal with. There's, you know, there's a lot of things in the economy that can put pressure on families, but when you don't know how much stuff is going to cost in a week, in a month, in a year, it's impossible to plan. And so you're putting every family in this sort of state of, of, of chaotic uncertainty, and that is going to make it feel even worse than it is. Right. And this is why inflation can be a bigger problem than unemployment. When we're in a recession, unemployment might rise from 5% to 9%. So the number of people marginally hit in a recession, the, mar the, the number of people who lose their jobs who had been employed is about 4%. But when inflation happens, it hits 100%. Mm. Everybody's paying the price of inflation. Everybody's paying higher gas prices, higher food prices, uh, higher electric bills. This hits 100% of the economy, not just a few percent who lose in a recession, uh, lose their jobs in a recession. And furthermore, you know, it hits other parts of the economy even harder. How would you like to be buying a house right now? Mortgage rates are rising so fast. Housing markets are basically freezing right now. The average mortgage on a median priced home since last year has gone up from about $1,200 a month to $1,900 a month. That is, that is hitting families hard. It doesn't matter if you've just a marginal family who lost your job in a recession. That's hitting everybody looking for a new house. I mean, that's over 50% more in a payment. I mean, that's, you know, families are not going to be able to bear that. Um, so there's this sort of thing that the, that the Biden administration has been doing, which is trying to spin this as really, really positive. We have incredible growth. Nine million jobs have been added. They throw all these stats out and some of them sound good. Some of them sound really just obviously he's just cherry picking from the bottom of a pandemic. But is there something to their argument at all? Because it doesn't feel like previous recessions. If you look at this, you say the unemployment rate is low. You see some of these spending rates, uh, you know, consumption rates are not terrible. It does feel a little bit different than maybe past recessions. Is there anything to their argument there? Well, I, I think it's different than past recessions, uh, in part because unemployment is low. Right now, jobs are plentiful. 
there may not be good jobs. They may not be the jobs people want, but economists would say jobs are plentiful. But in part two, the economy is still being held up by consumption that came from the Great Recession. You know, during the Great Recession, the Federal Reserve, I'm sorry, the, Great, the, the pandemic recession, mm. during the pandemic recession, the Federal Reserve dumped $4.8 trillion of new spending into the economy. And Congress allocated trillions of dollars in new benefits. The typical family of four got $10,000 in tax rebates. Unemployment was paying much more than a typical job. Government was just throwing money around at everybody. Disposable income rose at an annualized rate $1.6 trillion higher than it would have been without the pandemic, just because the Fed and Congress was spraying money around. Mm. Well, the reason consumption is holding up right now is because families are spending down all of that money that was sprayed around by the Federal Reserve and Congress. We're kind of still on the the sugar high of the congressional spending spree from the pandemic. And that's holding up the economy right now, albeit with 9% inflation. That's the other side effect of all that spending. The concern is over time, families are gonna spend down all those new savings. They're gonna spend down all that buffer that they got during the pandemic. And then at the time when jobs start to dip a little bit because of the Federal Reserve raising interest rates, you're gonna have that savings buffer gone too. And that's when if there's not a recession now, they'll be officially classifying it a recession by then. Yeah, and that's I think that's what a lot of people are feeling, too, and that maybe it hasn't really hit us fully yet, but we never seem to really pay the price for all of that crazy spending, uh, except for now we've been hit with inflation. But as all this stuff backs off, it seems like in the future, there's some dark economic days ahead, and I don't know how we avoid them unless you just believe the Fed is going to come up with this perfect plan for a soft landing. You know, the economy has been run by bubbles for a long time. In the late 1990s, we were held up by the stock market bubble, and then the stock market bubble burst. Then in the early 2000s, the economy was held up by a housing bubble, and that burst. Well, what we've seen the last couple of years is the economy has been pushed forward by a Federal Reserve and government debt bubble where they tried to power the economy. Well, now that bubble's bursting too. And when each of these bubbles burst, you still need to build a truly sustainable economy. And that's what we haven't done. And in terms of the, the bad situation we're in now, Congress gets a lot of the blame here because they could reduce inflation in a pro-growth way, stop the government spending, um, open up oil and gas, repeal tariffs, um, repeal ethanol mandates, repeal in, uh, some of the new regulations against infrastructure. All of that would bring down inflation in a way that actually makes the economy stronger. Instead, they're actually adding tariffs and adding spending, and that makes the inflation problem worse. And the more, the, the more you worsen the inflation problem, you kick it over to the Federal Reserve to deal with inflation instead. Well, the Federal Reserve, when they have to solve inflation, they're not going to do it in a pro-growth way. The Federal Reserve is going to do it by pushing the brake pedal on the entire economy and putting us into a recession. So because Congress won't deal with inflation in a pro-growth way, they're dumping it on the Federal Reserve to solve inflation by just slamming the brakes on the entire economy. And we're all going to feel the effects of that.
Yeah, I mean, it feels like you if you miss, you press those brakes a little bit too hard. This can get really, really ugly. Um, I want to because their new pitch is they have a new bill that is going to, of course, reduce inflation. At least they changed the name of Build Back Better to the Reduction of Inflation Act or something. I want to get into the details of that here in a second with you, Brian. Uh, but, but before we do that. You've worked with conservative candidates over the years, developing their economic plans. You've been all over this stuff for many, many years. Is it frustrating at all? Because I remember when bad times came economically for Republican presidents, for conservatives, there was not all this spinning from the media to justify every little piece of this, to kind of come up with an excuse for every little downturn. Every uh, They find so much nuance these days in these numbers, and I don't remember any of that in the past. It is remarkable, uh, the, the economic coverage that we see. Um, during the Bush presidency, economists and the media seem to be declaring a recession every 10 minutes, <laughs> uh, even before we actually had the Great Recession and the housing crash. Remember when President Trump got elected and all the talk was the business, the, the, the Obama boom has going to become the Trump recession and can Trump handle a soft landing? Well, during the first three years before the pandemic, that, by the way, the president didn't cause, in those first three years, we had the economy growing at an enormous rate. Wages were growing at the fastest rate in 50 years. The unemployment rate was at the lowest rate in 50 years. The stock market was up 20 or 30 percent. And all you heard from the media was recessions coming, recessions coming. Mm. Who's left behind by the Trump economy? Well, now we have the, the economy declining, inflation at a 40 percent high and real wages uh, falling at 3.6 percent. And the media is just going through, uh, you know, the proverbial horse manure <laughs> looking looking for the horse, uh, <laughs> trying to find the, the gift of, of why. Well, actually, the economy is not that bad because inflation means we're doing well and it means the economy is overheating. And really, it's not a recession. You can argue it's not a recession technically right now, but I can tell you for sure if a Republican was in the White House, we they would not be given that benefit of the doubt. The New York Times would not be splitting hairs. They would be putting in bold print Republican recession. They certainly would have. And I was listening to The Daily earlier today, their flagship podcast, and the whole podcast was about, you know, inflation might just be people thinking inflation is happening, which is causing more inflation. That was that was a 30 minute podcast on we were we we're our feelings are, are what's really causing uh, the inflationary period right now. Um, I want to come back on the other side here, Brian, with uh, something on this new bill. Manchin has finally come on board. Thankfully, a big win for the Biden administration. At least that's what I'm hearing. Uh, We'll come back in just a second. Well, as you just heard uh, Brian talking about, the the housing market has been crazy over the past couple of years. I I mean, I don't remember ever seeing a housing market that has gone up so far so fast. And now that rates are going up, uh, this is might be changing. The dynamics of this market, they, they really do change fast, and you better be on top of it if you're buying or selling a home. And that's why you need the best real estate agent in your area. How do you find that person? You don't find that person uh, under uh, someone sleeping on a bench. You don't find that person on a random ad. You don't find that person by clicking under the house you want on Zillow. You need to go to find a place where the, these people have been screened, where you can find the best agent in your area. And that's realestateagentsitrust.com. Realestateagentsitrust.com. Just give them a bit, a bit of basic information. They'll help walk 
walk you through the entire process and get the best agent in your town. It's realestateagentsitrust.com, realestateagentsitrust.com. We're back with Brian Riedel. He's a senior fellow at the Manhattan Institute. And we today, I guess, had the revenge of Build Back Better. Uh, the Joe Manchin apparently approved project now, which is, you know, this is what Manchin does. He, he acts like he's putting up a big fight. And then usually at the last minute, he comes along for at least a good chunk of what we were fearing when it comes to Build Back Better. This bill is smaller, I guess, in number, but there's two parts of it, right? There's, there's the spending part, Brian, uh, lots of tax credits, lots of spending. And then on the other side, there's also a tax component. Can we start with the spending side? Is, is this mainly just a bunch of green giveaways? Yes. Um, well, first, in terms of the overall cost, it's the spending is about 400 to 500 billion dollars, which makes it one of the biggest spending increases in decades. But it's a lot less than the five trillion dollars over the decade we were we were warned about last fall. Mm -hmm. And so we're in such a crazy budget world that four hundred billion dollars almost feels like a victory in some ways <laughs> because it's less than one twelfth of of the way they were going to do it earlier. It's it's. It's still bad, but it could have been worse. It starts out with about $400 billion in green giveaways. A lot of it is just corporate welfare. Um, it's, it's giveaways to green companies. It's, it's a, more Solyndra's, which we're gonna see, which is the time under President Obama when they were giving loan guarantees to politically connected companies. We'll see if it provides the climate benefit we've promised. There's also about $100 billion in Obamacare subsidies that are set to expire in three years. And uh, if you actually think Congress is going to let that spending expire in three years, you know, there's a bridge I want to sell you. <laughs> so it's about $500 billion in the same old, same old. Yeah, cause it's, it's interesting because, you know, they, they're still trying these tricks. I mean, one of the big things that Manchin said he was opposed to was were these tricks where you, oh, it's only three years of spending, but we all know it's going to last the whole decade. And then the package comes out. Uh, we see that that is in there. Manchin also said he wanted to see the next month's inflation numbers. I don't know exactly why that would matter on a 10-year bill, but he wanted to see that as well. He didn't wait for those numbers. I mean, I, it just seems like, you know, I, I see some of the stuff with, uh, with Medicare, putting a cap on spending on uh, prescriptions. There's a couple of different things in there as far as health care as well. How damaging are those uh, particular provisions? Well, the, the Medicare prescription portion would have, uh, essentially it would give the Department of Health and Human Services the power to set drug prices rather than the market. And it it's frustrating because Medicare D is actually came in with prescription drugs using a market-based method that came in significantly lower than projected. Market mm -hmm. forces have actually cost the program and, and cost um, seniors much less than projected. And what the Congressional Budget Office says is if Congress regulates the price of drugs, we are going to get fewer drugs uh, approved every year. It's going to stifle innovation, and there will be a significant number of medications that do not get approved and never get developed and never make it because Congress has basically starved the funding. And so I get the I get the support for a lot of people for Medicare price controls because it sounds like it's something that's going to save seniors. It may not save them very much, and it is going to lead to fewer drugs coming to the market. I mean, price controls never work, do they? I mean, have, have has has there is there an example of price controls ending in success? Not really, and and this 
this is it's, it's going to stifle markets. Um, it, it, it's going to it's going to make some people happy, but we're, we're going to see this. I mean, the reason the United States produces so many more new medications than Europe is Europe regulates the heck out of this stuff, mm. and then they actually freeload off our innovation. Well, if we basically put a put a stop to the innovation in America then there's really going to be no place for the new medications to be produced. And when you think of all the all the important illnesses out there, cancer, um, it's, it's really frustrating that we're going to be limiting innovation. I, the, everyone hates big pharmaceutical companies until the moment they need the big pharmaceutical companies. And then they all they're all on board all of a sudden. And I will say, you know, this is sort of off the topic of the bill, but this is such I mean, it's so disingenuous here. They constantly are talking about how we need to be helping other countries with with uh, and, and assisting other uh, countries, especially third world countries, countries that don't have the sort of uh, finances that we do. And then they want to restrict the innovation of. Uh, of, of the companies here. They want us to be paying a lot less to these companies. I mean, we've been footing the bill for the development and the, uh, the ease of production of these medications that now cure people all over the world. And the, the Democrats who are supposedly hu the humanitarians out there want to stop it. I pull my hair out when people talk about how, well, Europe pays less for prescription drugs and they have full access. The reason they have full access paying without paying for it as much is because they're freeloading off America. We we invest the money to create the drugs and develop the drugs and then and then once they come to market they just kind of freeload off off that freeload off that innovation without without having made the investment in the first place. Um, and so this is a way in which I hate to put it this way, but it's been American generosity. Americans have been paying for the generosity for other countries. Other countries, instead of paying for their own innovation, have have freeloaded off us. And so I guess what America has decided through this legislation is no one's going to create the drugs anymore. Mm, sounds like a great solution. Uh, if that's not the left solutions on so many different things, if we all suck, we'll be equal and that'll be great. Um, let me talk to you about the cost part of this bill because, or excuse me, not the cost, the uh, the actual tax hikes here on this bill because this is something that's not getting a lot of attention. I mean, everybody on the conservative side, I think, is just saying, look, look at all this money we're spending, uh, and we're spending it on things that aren't particularly valuable. But there's also a, a cost element or a tax element here. One of the stats that Joe Biden throws out all the time, he says, you know, 55 com companies and the four, uh, you know, the four, uh, whatever it is, 500 or whatever he's always talking about. I can't remember the stat exactly. Don't pay any taxes. And if you look at that, you know, number in depth, first of all, is that even true? And second of all, what is Biden going to do to stop it? It's, it's what ends up happening is some of these Fortune 500 companies in one year will, will not have a full income tax or will not have a full corporate tax liability for a given year, but they may have had a huge tax the previous year or a large tax the following year. Mm. If you look over the five or 10 year period, that's not really the case that these companies are really getting out of it. But the companies that are paying less in taxes, it's mainly because Congress gave them tax preferences to do so. Mainly, we have tax preferences to encourage business investment in new capital and business R&D. If you invest a lot in new plants and equipment and you invest in, in 
uh, R&D, you get to write that off. And to the extent that a lot of companies aren't paying taxes for a given year, it's because they're loading up on the capital investment in the R&D that Congress encourage them to do because it's good for the economy. <laughs> what Biden is doing is saying, we're gonna give a minimum tax, which essentially takes away these these tax preferences. Um, we're essentially gonna tax the R&D and we're gonna tax the innovation. Here's the crazy part of it. Congress yesterday passed a semiconductor bill to subsidize the semiconductors R&D and investment. Mm. This bill, gives big subsidies to green energy, green investment, and green R&D. And then we're gonna turn around and implement a new tax on business investment and R&D. So we're subsidizing it and taxing it within 24 hours. And it reminds me of a President Reagan quote, who said, government works this way. If it moves, tax it. If it keeps moving, regulate it. And if it stops moving, subsidize it. We are gonna subsidize and tax R&D and business investment within 24 hours. That's Washington for you. It really is fascinating because almost the whole first half of this conversation is us talking about how the government is going to give these big giveaways to these companies so that they do certain things that they want. Mm -hmm. That could bring your tax liability to zero. And so then they're yes. going to reverse the same policy that's in the same bill and the bill they passed the previous day by implementing a minimum tax. This makes absolutely no sense. Do they understand this? Is Joe Manchin just looking for a way to justify to West Virginia voters, hey, I was tough on these companies? Why, why does this happen? They're, they're playing into the fact that voters aren't going to notice this. They can come home and say, look at all the great things I'm doing for, our in, uh, for, for green energy. Look at all the great things I'm doing for the climate. And oh, by the way, look at the great things I'm doing to tax big bad businesses that aren't paying their taxes. And they're counting on the voters compartmentalizing this without realizing that the very way you're doing green energy and semiconductors is by giving them tax write-offs that you just took away with the minimum tax. And, and they're hoping people don't notice that, you know, it's, it's one foot on the gas, one foot on the brake. Or as I like to say, for every government policy, there's an equal and opposite government policy. <laughs> and this is where we land. This is why nothing seems to ever work. Uh, you've just heard it in real time. Brian Riedel, senior fellow with the Manhattan Institute. Uh, just a great breakdown of everything that's going on today. Uh, Brian, you're always on top of this stuff, and I really appreciate you taking so much time to explain it all to us. It's a pleasure. Anytime, Stu. If you've been watching the comings and goings of the Supreme Court over the past uh, year or so, you can't say enough about First Liberty Institute. First Liberty Institute has been at the center of all of these battles. When you're talking about religious freedom, uh, when they were trying to shut down uh, churches during COVID, they were there. When a, uh, a coach couldn't wasn't allowed to pray in the 50-yard line by himself after a high school football game, they were there. Uh, they were there uh, with the main case as well. They've been in the center of all of these big Supreme Court cases when it comes to religious liberty. And now they're looking at the Supreme Court and people like Elizabeth Warren coming out and saying, hey, uh, we just need to put more justices in there. We're not getting the, the results that we want. Uh, that's not how the system is supposed to work. And First Liberty Institute is fighting against that every day. They're gathering a coalition of one million patriots to say no to court packing, no to the liberal agenda, no to the Supreme Court 
coup. Uh, big name uh, for, uh, conservatives have been on this for a very long time. Uh, the Heritage Foundation, the, the Family Policy Alliance, uh, all the big ones. And, you know, th this needs to be stopped. Go to SupremeCoup.com and get involved. That's C-O-U-P, SupremeCoup.com. Sign First Liberty's letter now. Su SupremeCoup.com with First Liberty Institute. SupremeCoup.com. Chicago Mayor Lightfoot has a heavy foot. Mm. Very, very sad. She's apparently been blowing red lights and speeding all over the place and not paying any of the tickets, which is so perfect, isn't it? I just so perfect. This is exactly who she is. She's doing the same stuff in COVID. Oh, we have all these restrictions. Not for me, obviously, but for you. You have to stay behind the red lights when you have to stop right on the line. You can't go more than one mile an hour over the speed limit. But for her, she's, she, she's, like, a, she's like the Gavin Newsom of Chicago. She gets to do whatever the hell she wants, and you get to deal with these restrictions. You peasants get used to it. This is uh, the, the left's way and the way it goes. By the way, we have a new edition of one of our favorite segments, Biden's newest low. Because Every day we can come up with another story of Biden's new low that he's set for the day. And his newest low is a new poll talking. Uh, this is from CNN, by the way, hardly a right wing outlet. They have found that 75 percent of Democratic voters do not want Joe Biden to be the nominee next time. This is incomprehensible. This is not supposed to happen. Now, a lot of these people say, yes, yeah, so I'll still vote for Biden if he's the nominee against Trump or some other Republican. They're not leaving the Democratic Party forever, at least at this point. They just don't want this guy to run again. So who do they want? Who's who's the bench here? You ready for this list of just complete trash? Are you ready for it? Wow. Uh, number one on the list is, yeah, you guessed it. Veep thoughts herself, Kamala Harris, 31% uh, of Democratic voters said they would prefer Harris if it, Biden does not run. Ne second place, Gavin Newsom, 17% said Newsom. Then Bernie Sanders, who's actually, is he older than Biden? 13%. Then Pete Buttigieg, 10%. And then AOC, Gretchen Whitmer, and J.B. Pritzker, he's the Illinois governor, and he's getting a lot of press just because he's really rich. Uh, he got, they all got less than 10%. This is not good uh, if you happen to be Joe Biden or, or maybe depending on Joe Biden for your employment. Everyone's going to be running. They're all just rats scurrying off the edge of a sinking ship right now. It's going to be funny to see it happen, and we'll have the popcorn here to check it all out. A while ago, we had some great Blaze socks that many of you purchased and love. I think they were Let's Go Brandon. They sold like crazy. Well, there's a new, uh, new fleet of new limited edition socks. There are two packages and stylish drink covers as well to keep your beverages cool. If you don't know which one to get, well, this is America. Obviously, just get them both. That's how you do it. Uh, they are going to throw in a free bonus set of socks and an additional set of drink covers with a discount uh, off the full purchase. Now, of course, Blaze TV subscribers, we love you. It's blazetv.com slash stew. If you go there and you subscribe, or if you're already a subscriber, you can use the promo code blazesub for 20% off your purchase.
Why not do that? Code is only available to subscribers. If you're not one, of course, you can go to blazetv.com slash stew. Use the promo code stewsocks and save a bunch of money as well. It's time to go shopping. Go to blazesocks.com. Scope out the socks. Get a pair or two for a deserving dad, graduate, anybody. Blazesocks.com. The code is stewsocks. If you're listening on podcast, make sure to follow the show. We do really appreciate it. And rate and review. Five stars is the appropriate number of stars. It's great. Whatever. Just a quick comment will help. Also, if you're on YouTube, click like right now. Just click like. We'd really appreciate that. It helps spread the show and follow as well. Drop a comment below. The algorithm robots will love you if you do so. Uh, this one comes in from Rick. I haven't gotten bored yet with Veep Thoughts. Same for AOC's victimhood. Yes, you can see all of them, by the way, at Veep Thoughts. Dot com. Terry writes about Veep Thoughts as well. I'm a president standing in front of a country asking it to love me. Yes, the vice president is here for you, just asking you to love her. So far, you're saying no in great numbers, which is really, really rude. Chris asks, what do you actually eat at Taco Bell if you're a vegetarian? You know, you can eat lots of stuff at Taco Bell if you're a vegetarian. A lot of people confuse vegetarianism with being healthy. I'm able to totally disprove that stereotype. I'm pretty great 